I want to recognise all the First Nations people as the original knowledge holders of this land that we now call Australia and acknowledge the important role their wisdom and stories have played in our community uh, and give thanks to those individuals and communities who have shared their wisdom with me over the years. This episode, I am excited to bring you uh, probably one of the more prolific uh, personalities in the OT space online, and that's Lindsay DeLong. You may know her online persona, her online profile better as Equip Me OT. Uh, Lindsay has a long and massive amount of content that she's put out there around all things OT, but in particularly around assistive tech, um, hints, tips, tricks for both practitioners uh, and for clients. Definitely check her out. I'll put the links in the show notes, but I want you to right now sit back and enjoy this lovely, amazing conversation with this very creative and awesome human being. G'day, my name's Brock Cook and welcome to Occupied. In this podcast, we're aiming to put the occupation in occupational therapy. We explore the people, topics, theories, and underpinnings that make this profession so incredible. If you're new here, you can find all of our previous episodes and resources at OccupiedPodcast.com. But for now, let's roll the episode. You know, that's a great way to put it because... So I started like so many others, not knowing what the heck occupational therapy was, what it was going to, you know, how it was going to impact my life. I was surrounded by healthcare professionals my entire life, doctors, social workers, nurses. Is it in your family? And I, yes, yeah. my extended family. And I knew I wanted to go into healthcare, so I dabbled in all of those and just kind of wanted to watch everybody. I knew I wanted to do something in healthcare. Physical therapy was the easiest one for me to start shadowing as a high schooler. So I was like, oh, I'll just hang out in the PT clinic and watch everybody do their thing, hang out with athletes. And that was fun, but I got bored really easily. But I was like, this is this will be good enough. So I followed that all the way through most of my undergraduate until I was a junior in college taking a level two physics class and bombing it absolutely bombing it and like completely it like stopped me dead in my tracks i was like recontemplating my entire life philosophy i'm like i gotta take more of this kind of coursework i'm gonna and... touch on the irony of that later <laughs> and so yes there is plenty of irony in the story but i i went home that year and i told my mom like i almost failed like I've, I've got a lot more hard sciences and all these these physics and mathematics things that they needed for certain kinesiology programs <laughs> And I, I decided, I, I was just like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I was also bored. Like, I could tell I was running low on the motivation, more so than the, like, I absolutely can't learn this. And so my mom had a literal pamphlet. I don't know where boomers get pamphlets, but they just <laughs> show up with pamphlets. It's a thing. And I love, I love her for that. But she had a literal pamphlet that she had found somewhere, and it was for occupational therapy as a career choice. It was like... Do you still Where have she it? Got this, I wish I did. That would be amazing. Because like, I'm like, what? Like, how did this manifest? And she handed it to me. And she's like, read the description of what an OT is versus a PT, and tell me this isn't you. And basically, in the description, it broke down the creative art and science of caring for people. And it was this really beautifully written little pamphlet. 
And I, I don't know where it came from. I don't know what university or, you know, if it was a program that it was, but it really described my creative side, which I had always felt I was not getting the opportunity to really use when I was following the kind of pre-PT tract. And I, from that day on, I was like, okay, let's do this. And then I didn't get into grad school. I did not get into any OT program. I hear this story a lot in the States. You have a very different, I guess, path to get into the, like through university to get into the, the profession. It's a lot of bureaucracy, right? Like there's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of, every school has a different, you know, list of standards and things. And I had the grades, I had the prerequisites, but I just, I was missing a few things and I didn't get in. So I re I reevaluated again and I was like, okay, I guess I'll be a social worker. And I was like, the, like the idea of doing paperwork for the rest of my life, I was so beat down. And my husband, I got married very young, 22, we're still married. And in that year of like, I went back to OT again and I started following OTs and I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. So I reapplied, got the, the guts up to do it, got in and the rest is history. And I think not getting in my first time and having to soul search again and really confirm and commit that this is what I wanted to do has kind of lit that fire in me. That's never gone out. Like yeah. I love this job. Um, I will do it. I always say I'll do it for free. Like, and that's kind of doing it online as I do now. Often I am doing it for free and I love it. I absolutely love it. It's that art and science just, you know, colliding and making a beautiful, beautiful, helpful baby. Hopefully is what I've, I think that's the the one benefit that I've seen speaking to quite a few people, obviously in the States and the, the system of getting into university over there. The one benefit I have seen is a lot of the people that I've spoken to, so like people that from my perspective interest me, that I see are sort of doing something unique and leading in the profession, don't get in first go. And I think what you've just described is exactly why they become who they become. Is it it takes it takes buy in for them to then go through the process of, you know, like you said, soul searching and reapplying and you have to be certain that this is what you want. And I think that's the one thing we get slightly less of, especially particularly in the earlier years of the course in Australia, um, is there's definitely people who get into the course who aren't sure what it is, who, you know, don't really know if they want to do this or if they're going to transfer into something else or, but the fact that it's so easy, like relatively easy um, to get in process wise in Australia compared to the States, I feel like, yeah, people can just like, Oh, I've got to do something. I'll do OT. It's not right. just a like, eh, I'll do it. Whereas over there you kind of have to, it's a bit of rigmarole. It is. It is. And it's interesting because the university I went to had a program that you could do in your undergrad that would basically cut your undergraduate requirements down by a whole year. So you could do a three-year undergrad plus two-year master's, all occupational therapy tracked. Okay. And what I found was, and so there were several students in my graduating OT class who did that. They were the ones who struggled the most. And I think it was because they had never had that opportunity to, one, think outside the box. They had only been OTs. Mm. I studied psychology. I took courses in everything you can imagine. I had the classic U.S. liberal arts degree. I mean, we, we can talk <laughs> garbage about that 
you know, getting a, a fluffy liberal arts degree that won't ever pay the bills but costs a fortune. I mean, there's a lot to be said about that, but we have those two. I learned a little about everything, and yeah. that has served me incredibly well as a therapist. Um, because I can communicate with people about a lot of different topics and I'm very comfortable being uncomfortable, <laughs> which I think has also been really helpful. So I feel like, you know, OT found me when I needed it the most. And, you know, it's served me incredibly well for the last, you know, 12 years. And I'm very grateful for that. So when you, I guess when you were applying to go into university to get into OT, what was your vision on where you thought you were going to end up work-wise, like practice area-wise? I wanted to be in the hospital. I wanted to be up to my elbows in acute, you know, I wanted the really nitty-gritty. I wanted, I wanted traumatic brain injury. I wanted neuro. I wanted the stuff that kind of scared me. Um, but also made me really excited. And that's what I did. I spent, I, I went to, I went to college, got into the, um, kind of fellowship program for our local, um, acute rehab hospital. So, you know, people with acute brain injuries, um, I worked in an oncology unit, spinal cord unit, stroke unit with adults, and it was physically, emotionally, spiritually draining work. And I absolutely loved it until I couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> uh, how long did that take? The four bur- years. The burnout, four years. Okay. Four years. And you know what it was? I had my first kid. That'll and everything changed, you know, as it does. And But I also realized that, you know, being in the inpatient setting, I was only seeing a very minute part mm. of the human experience, especially the human disability experience. I was seeing them in their most acute, high-stress Mm. most limited phase and I wasn't seeing what it looked like for the rest of their lives um so I switched to home health after that and I did that for seven years until I left in 2020 and or 2021 ish and started doing all online which never saw that one coming that one (laughs) that one was a surprise yeah that's a lot that happened around 2020 that we didn't see coming (laughs) right we were all kind of just going for whatever so, yeah, I, I wanted that, like, when they were like, oh, who wants to take the inpatient rehab brain injury? And, like, no hands went up because they were like, that sounds <laughs> scary. And I'm, like, all 110 pounds of me. I'm like, put me in, coach. Like, I'm ready. Like, Let's do it. Let's do it. And I did. I loved it. I absolutely, like, I've, I loved every minute of it, but it, it took me out. It took me out. How long did it take to get your mojo back after you left that because i've been through a similar thing and it took me a lot longer than most people would expect i was pretty beat up um i i would say my first six months at my first home care job doing home health um one it was so different and i was i felt like very much a fish out of water i was learning everything again and i felt very insecure because of leaving this career that I thought was going to be my end. I thought I was going to do it for 40 years. I replaced, so when I took my inpatient rehab job, I was right out of college. I had replaced my clinical instructor who had been there for 42 years, taking that beating every day for 42 years. So I was like, I thought I had failed by not being able to keep up with that rigorous life yeah. um, and, and stepping back into home health. But then I realized as I got more invested in home health and learning I started to realize, like, there, there's a lot here I can do, too. And once I shifted that mindset away from, like, I failed <laughs> by not being able to stay 
in that inpatient rehab setting to I have something I can offer here because of my experiences in inpatient rehab, everything changed. And my home health became such a beautiful, I have so much passion for the home health world just because I was like, this is where OT really happens, right? Yep. Like in the home, like I'm seeing you in your natural environment, the occupations that actually happen day to day, that was huge. And so it took me about six months in that job to really click. Um, and then I was off to the races. I find it very interesting, like similar or parallel kind of experiences that it sounds like I've had um, through my career, particularly around the uh, only seeing the that small part of people's lives in an acute setting so my, my experience was obviously acute mental health but i don't think i was nearly as insightful about it as you were because it took me ages after i'd left before i realized hey wait a minute that was probably what was going on because you see people on repeat at their sort of lowest most vulnerable moments but that's all you get to see and that's something that i've i've tried to put across to my students for years now is I personally don't know if particularly acute mental health is the best place to start as a new grad yeah it's got benefits you learn a lot in a very short period of time but just not getting that full vision of the whole process that people go through when they're they're in a mental health system um some sort of combined community slash acute job would be ideal, which is luckily where I started. Um, but I don't, that that's a pretty rare sort of mix. Yeah. But yeah, it's, you kind of a unicorn. That's kind of a unicorn job. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't even know it at the time. I was just like, yeah, cool. That sounds fun. Let's do that. And it was on the Let's Gold Coast, which if people from Australia will know, that's like, oh my god, yeah, that's like the dream location, like beaches and. All oh. sorts of stuff, and yeah. So I was like, yeah, sure, I can do that. Why not? Why not? And then now I'm looking back, and I'm like, you don't know how good that was. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I worked in other acute Fine units after that, and I'm like, yeah, that was very different, very different, <laughs> but very good. But yeah, you're way more insightful about that than I was. So I've had a lot of time to reflect. I've had a lot of time to reflect. In the last few years, it's been hyper, hyper fixation on reflecting on how the heck I ended up where I am now, which is obviously nowhere that I expected to be. In a grateful way, I hope. Unbelievably (laughs) grateful. I wake up every day just like, how in the world do I get to do this? Because now, you know, in 2020, I was working part-time and then my kids were pulled out of school because of the pandemic. And I had to stay home and I had to make a decision. I left OT. I walked away from a job that I loved Mm -hmm. and it was beating me up again. I was pretty burned out. So it wasn't like, oh, you know, I was like, all (laughs) right, I'll take a little time off. You know, this will feel good. But I got the itch real fast to figure out I got to be able to do something with this constant need to serve the community in the way that I knew how. And so I started making the videos on YouTube with my husband who has a film and video background. And I was just making, basically, I just wanted to make frequently asked question videos Yeah. that like I never had enough time because of insurance to tell people. I'm like, this is the videos I wish I had had as a resource to give to patients when I ran out of therapy visits. Yeah. (laughs) 
And so those were the videos we started making, and we had absolutely no idea what we were doing aside from just trying to answer those questions. And then I joined Instagram because I was lonely, and I missed my OT community, and so I started finding people on Instagram, and I was like, oh, this is kind of fun, and I started making content, and it just blew up. It just kept going and going, and now I'm four years in. I've replaced my OT income times two doing something that we started without a clue what we were doing. And I think it just proves that one OTs are make good entrepreneurs. I think we have a great insight into the community and the needs of the community um, in a a way that makes us good, naturally good at, at entrepreneurial pursuits. But also I think that the community is desperate for information and we gatekeep information when in the healthcare community, right? We like hold it. We're like, come see us. And we'll give you the deets. You will tell you all about it. And I was like, I want to take down all the walls, all the barriers. You don't have to even talk to me. Mm. You can watch my videos for free. I won't even ask a question unless you have a question for me. Like, and it was so liberating to like knock down all those walls, you know? So the fact that it's become a career or a, a business is entirely separate from the original goal that we set out to just make some, pass some time really, um, before I went and got my, got a, a real OT job again. But here we are four years later and I'm still doing it. It's a real OT job. It, it is now. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think you're fine. Yeah. A lot of people would be in the boat that you found yourself in prior to starting and then they don't have like time to build like resources or at least good quality resources and i think that's the thing that grabbed me about your videos is there the like you don't need to be an ot to understand what they're talking about like someone with uh like an impairment that you're addressing in one of your videos could watch it and get something out of it it's not aimed at particularly at therapists no um so they're very digestible that was always the goal. Like I said, I wanted them to be resources that I could hand to the patients and caregivers. Um, so I literally started, I don't script. This will be surprising Good. to hear. Me too. I, yeah, I can't do it. I've tried. My husband's like, please script. And I'm like, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I look like a robot. But what I started doing was just like, I'd have the topic written on a piece of paper and I'd tape it to a mirror and I'd look at myself in the mirror and pretend I was a patient. And I would educate them on the topic. And then once I felt good about my educational blurb we put it on film and that's like how i've been doing it forever (laughs) is this very kind of informal but i think it helps people to feel like i'm making an effort to connect with them individually even though it's through a camera and there's you know hundreds of thousands of other people viewing it as well and it's been really interesting because the feedback i get i can implement in my next videos and like it's such real world implementable like hey that's great but I actually have questions about this. And it's like, as a therapist, I wasn't getting that kind of feedback. We have this authoritative position, right? We come in as the healthcare Mm. provider. We're going to give you instruction. Yeah. And in the, in the online space, it ain't like that. They don't look at me as a healthcare professional. They look at me as a YouTuber and they're like, this is great and all, but you didn't answer my question. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, tell me what I need to do. And so initially I got defensive, but once I got over being defensive, I realized like, this is a gift. We're going to work with this and we're going to have these honest conversations with 
the clients that maybe never get to see an occupational therapist because mm. we all know there's a lot of people out there who could benefit from us who may never see us. Um, and that's been another really freeing thing is to know I can still reach folks that aren't yeah, partic Particularly on platforms like YouTube, like I know I'm probably not bad for it, but it's something I definitely do is the first time I need to know something, I go on YouTube. It. Yeah. So like if it's, you... It, uh, have this new piece of equipment or you're having this problem with something in your life, more than likely the first thing you're going to do is go and YouTube it. Yep. See what you can learn. And if all YouTube said was OTs help that, then that's not very useful to you in that moment because YouTube is very much the, uh, I don't know, it's, it's very much the DIY central of the internet where you can yep. sort of learn any skill you want. The stuff yep. that I've learned off YouTube from woodwork to car work, like working on cars and to like ot stuff to like it's it's all in there all there that and pinterest but yeah, I, <laughs> i'm not on pinterest i never got the energy for that no I, I still don't yeah i tried when it first sort of came out years and years ago and then i'm like i don't yeah it's not my thing i guess i yeah. probably didn't really have a purpose for it but yeah 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 i i find it really interesting that the, the different personalities of the different social medias now that I've yes. been on them for a long time. YouTube is the only platform where I will get absolutely, well, I won't say the only platform, but like I will get absolutely called out. Like no, there is no filter on a YouTube comment section. It is unhinged in there. I was just talking to my husband about this earlier. Cause like people will critique me on the most wild components of my content. I'll also get beautiful feedback from people yeah. who are being incredibly kind and giving, but YouTube is an honest place <laughs> and there is no fear of posting an honest thing about the fact that I clearly used the wrong bit size when I installed a grab bar, you know, and it's, it's, it always makes me laugh because it's guaranteed across the board, no matter what I post about, I will always get that. So it's a very humbling experience. You have to grow a bit of a thick skin, but having my start in brain injury recovery, I've got a pretty thick skin. It's a lot like working in, you know, in a mental health. So you're going to get some, you're going to get some insults hurled at you. You got to be ready. Some interesting feedback. Yeah. Roll back. You are. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, and so I am grateful for those early experiences because it prepared me. Instagram's the nicest. Really? The people on Instagram by far the most respectful. I wouldn't have picked that. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's just because they have me figured out a little bit more. Like, my algorithm is a little better. TikTok was unhinged initially. TikTok was, was nuts. I avoided it for a long time because the youth made that's, me nervous. That's still me. I'm still avoiding well, it. Well, you're teaching. You're surrounded by the TikTok generation. I know, but I'm... I'll let them do that. That's yeah. <laughs> but from an OT standpoint, TikTok has been the best place to reach, um, like the chronic illness community. Yep. There's a strong presence, and there is so much curiosity and stuff. And so the growth potential is huge. Yep. Um, there. So I was like, I can't avoid it forever. So it is interesting. I, I have to. I monitor all three platforms on the daily. And just process so much feedback. It's 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 kind of absurd. <laughs> How? And this is more just me being curious about this. How do you? How do you mat? Yeah, I guess. How do you manage spending? Like essentially, your job is social media. Mm -hmm. How do you cope with? 
being on it, spending that much time on it, to dealing with obviously some negative comments and that sort of stuff. Yeah. How do you manage that without it, without burning out? Not well, Brock. I'm not oh, going to okay. lie to you. No, no. I I honestly I honestly try and be like I have some strategies for how I like I post my videos are my link like that's all that's basically everything I offer is my videos and then it's a little bit of like personal things splattered in there so I post three videos a week or I try to um, and I am really diligent about babysitting those videos for the first. 20 to 50 comments and then after that i just release it out into the ether and i say whatever happens from here happens i um i try to cut myself off like a normal business day you know i but here's the thing about i'm obsessive like i'm very obsessive like i'm one of those people who has a zero on their inbox at all times like i have to read my latest emails so if i've got dms coming in you know, I'm reading them. And um, so that gets a little bit tough. I cannot say I have the best balance in the world. So I you try. Have notifi- you have 133,000 people on Instagram and your notifications are on? Yeah. What? I know. it's It It may change. I hope so, for your sake. For my own sake. I'm going on vacation next week and I was just talking to my husband. And I'm like, I think I have to actually like sign off because we're going out of the country. And so I'm like, my phone won't work where we're going to be most Good. of the places. I know. This is the, and <laughs> I'd say this is the first time I'm going to actually log off for that long of a time yep. since I started this. And part of it is you develop a p- paranoia. Growing on social media is scary. It's fun, but it's mostly just terrifying because you're just holding on for dear life and then trying to replicate something that is not easily replicatable, mm-hmm. right? Every time you go viral, you're like, this is the greatest moment. And then it starts getting really overwhelming. And then the wave crashes. And then you're like, okay, I got to figure out how to do that again. And it becomes a drug addiction. Like you're addicted yeah, yeah. to that, that, that dopamine boost, you know? And so I've had to kind of learn to just be more, treat it more like a business, treat it more like what it is, yep. even though I deeply care about the people that I'm serving. So when I get DMs, I have people who've been following me since day one and are incredibly supportive. And I will go out of my way to make sure they get every response directly from me. It's just me. I don't have anyone hired. I do all of it on my own, yep. uh, which may change also as I continue to grow. But it's it's not something I have perfected. I'll tell you that much. The balance. It's a work it's in hard. progress. I'm a work in progress. I like that. Yes. <laughs> Social media is a work in progress, I think. We're still figuring out what it even means to the world at large. Yeah, and the fact that it keeps changing uh, yeah. probably isn't helping the like getting used to things aspect no. of it. And then the medical piece of it is really complicated, too, because I have to make sure that I'm not providing information that is could be unethical Mm. or potentially providing some sort of information that could be harmful if a person took that information and tried to implement it individually that's something i have to be really aware of i learned a really important lesson early on in social media and especially as an ot in social media was never to fake a disability i'm not disabled i i'm not so when i was early on making content i would kind of fake a struggle to demonstrate a product and i thought that was okay because i was demonstrating the functionality of a product but i got really quick and very constructive feedback that like 
that's not okay. That's in that's inappropriate to the community. So I had I was like, oh my gosh, and like I'm a people pleaser, so I was like devastated and had to like rethink everything. Yep. But I, I, it's really important to continually receive that kind of feedback, and I think that's one of the again, one of the things I take really high priority of is like listening, being a, a open line of communication to my community, and not just being a face throwing information at people because I don't think that that's very helpful. Do you see do you see yourself as the product or are the videos the product? That's a great question. Because you, before you were describing the videos as the product, but when you're talking like this, the way you talk about how you operate, I'm like you're the product. Mhm. I think it started as the videos were the product and I was simply the messenger. I was I was a piece of the I was a piece of the furniture basically in the videos that was carrying out the the ex- explanation. Mm. When I transitioned over to Instagram specifically, that was the first place I really went kind of grew quickly and yep. and started to get larger and it's still my largest following. Um it became a lot about me. It, and that was from a mental health standpoint, I started to experience a lot of anxiety and mm. a lot of kind of it's very unnerving still sometimes when I when I think about that. And, you know, I, I developed a product that I sell that I created using my audience's feedback. And, like, we kind of created it together. And I started selling that product. I have another product I'm launching in a few months. And so I've got this product company that's now developing. And I always talk about these pillars of the business. And I'm like, the product company doesn't exist without me. Mm. And I always, it's a struggle because it's like I've created kind of an online persona. And I think a lot of quote unquote influencers or content creators fall into that. Um, and it's, it's really, it's a very thin line that you can cross where it becomes like, I'm just selling myself at this point. And I try to avoid that by staying really focused on showing people stuff. Yeah. Like this thing, don't look at me, look at this thing. I don't give a lot of opinion pieces. Um, because I feel very uncomfortable in that space, if I'm totally honest. Not to say that other OTs who are doing it in that space and are doing a lot of, like, opinion stuff and, like, um, lifestyle things, that's wonderful, but I could never do it. It yeah. just, it pushes me over that line a little bit too far. Yeah, that's, I find that interesting because I think a lot of, like, there are a few OTs that do not so much I don't think anyone does it as well as you and I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass that's just facts um I'm blushing oh (laughs) quick drink from the barbie cup that'll help Mm. uh but there are quite a few ATs that do put out videos that are targeted at you know or could be viewed by clients as well as therapists etc for assistance but I feel like a lot of them are framing themselves as the product. Mm-hmm. As in, I agree. you know, this is from me. This is, you know, you what I've me. got to help you with. And then they generally, the products that they end up developing, obviously yours is an actual physical aid product that you're, yeah. you've developed but I see a lot of people that the product that they end up developing is things like coaching or like something that involves them. Yeah. And they, them as the product again. 
Yeah. And, and educational. I, they they provide like a, a course. Or, yeah. And like I have very good friends who are OTs who have made an incredible career out of mm-hmm. doing just that being, you know, co- coaching and and basically, um, you know, helping build people up into whatever they want to be. And I think that's wonderful. If you can mm-hmm. balance that in your life. I just couldn't. I, I never could see myself doing that because it felt it felt very vulnerable to be there. And perhaps that's my own. I'll talk to my therapist about it tomorrow. I do have therapy <laughs> tomorrow. So I'll add that to the list. But, you know, honestly, I just felt like I always wanted to come across as a as a as a deliverer of information, yeah. not so much the like the soul. And I tell people that all the time. I'm like, the only reason I know what I know is because you guys ask wonderful questions mm. and make me use my OT brain to problem solve. Yeah. This doesn't just come out of thin air. Like, I'm not just it's behind my t- computer, like, endlessly. Just brain like, dumping everything with- I know. Yeah. Oh, heavens no. My process is literally receive questions. Yep. Good questions of, like, how do I live with blank? How do I adapt blank? And I just start figuring it out the yep. best I can with my OT brain. And that's all, that, that's all I do. Um, you know, a lot of people think I have, like, all these special ways of getting getting special inf- how do you have access to all this i'm like i don't i just have time which is something most ot's are never offered so yeah. i that's the piece of this i'm most grateful for is like i have the time and the peace to receive a question and really think about it yeah yeah that's awesome name an ot position where you have that like there's none like that's the greatest gift i have is time And that's why I really freely share what I find, because I'm Mm. like, I know the rest of y'all out there don't have time for all this research. So here it is. Please use it and and come back with more questions, because that's how I'm going to keep giving you guys information. And that's how I do it. I think what I was sort of aiming at before was that you framing the videos as a product or the actual physical product as a product. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I keep saying product. It's a, what is it? A, a, a silicon scrubber. I had it up before. Yeah. It's a, it's a body and scalp scrubber. Yeah. With, a, like a, with a long handle so people can yeah. reach the bits that they might not be able to reach. Got it. It's a bit reacher. A bit reacher. I like that. You should have called it that. Mm-hmm. I should have. Dang it's it. The long handled bit reacher. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, my point was I got sidetracked again, as I tend to do, uh, <laughs> is I find that method purely and simply when i'm looking at content much i find myself trusting you a lot quicker and easier than someone that is framing themselves all right maybe because i'm a skeptic and i'm like well who are you that's really interesting whereas i can see your content and i don't have to i guess the thing is i don't have to trust you because I can see no. what you're doing and I can go, hey, I, she's de- like, you're not just telling me do this. You're actually, all of your videos are demonstrations of, yes. you know, a skill or a technique or a modification or a piece of equipment, etc. So I don't have, and this is going to sound rude, I, like, I don't have to have anything to do with you in order exactly. to see that this technique or this skill or this piece of equipment, hey, this is actually pretty helpful. And, you know, yeah. for this person that I'm working with, this might be something that I can recommend to them or show them or, you know, send them the video or whatever it is. Um, I find that, and I'm, I say, I, 
I feel like a, somewhat of a hypocrite coming from this, given that uh, I've done so many different things on social media, but I find that to be the most genuine and easily trustworthy method, I guess, of, of I think it's very existing accessible. on social media. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I wish I could take credit for having that technique right off the bat, <laughs> but my husband used to stare me down from behind the camera and he would cut me off and he'd say, show, don't tell. You need to show, don't tell. The less you say and the more you show, the more engaged people are in your content. He was 100% right. And, you know, he comes from the film world. He comes from the film and video space. So he yep. worked in Hollywood and things like that. And it's the same thing. If you're over-talking a topic or you're trying to convince an audience of anything, you're going to lose them very, very quickly mm. until you can show them something that they can immediately take themselves and place into that situation and connect. Mm. And so that 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 isn't I have to give him the full credit for that because he was 100% right and once I started to really internalize that and understand it, it made making content so much easier because I stopped worrying about what am I going to say? How am I going to do? It just became how do I show this thing, this technique, this yep. modification, this adaptation and how do I do it in a way that allows the viewer to put themselves either in the care space, in the caregiver's position or in a disabled person's position and just like start to make sense of it. Because that's, you're right, YouTube is a DIY channel. Mm. If you go to YouTube and you're not showing something, you're going to lose your audience unless you are an adorably funny, like charismatic vlogger, which there's a very small window of, like of opportunity for that type of YouTube channel. Yeah. But if you can show something of value to people who need the information you're off to the races and Mm. let me just tell you youtube pays the bills so if your listeners get anything from this like don't poo poo on youtube because even though it's the granddaddy of the social media platforms it is it has it's the second largest uh search engine outside of google pretty short and google owns it anyway and google owns it and google pays you (laughs) For making content on that every every ad you view on my channel i get paid for that and so you're getting free information mm. i'm getting a little bit of financial incentive to continue to provide that free information it is a beautiful platform and a lot of people kind of fight whether to go onto it or not and i just am like it changed my life i won't mm. <laughs> i'm never going back you know so i think it's did you find so in the, the the podcasting space, it's obviously v- almost the complete opposite by the sounds of it with video because obviously talking yeah. is all we have. So that's what yeah. we're doing. Um, and uh, I don't necessarily think with regards to the branding, because I know this question is going to come up in the comments, I don't necessarily think that product-wise... I'm the product. I don't think anyone listens to this podcast from me. In fact, I could probably disappear and no one would give a shit. People listen. People, I've I've done that. People (laughs) didn't notice. Um, Other people bringing other people in. That's that's the product for me. And and showcasing other people's careers, services, ideas, etc. That to me is the the product for podcasting. So it is. I do see it. Not as the 
because I've, I've just thinking now that what I described before, I'm like, people are going to go, that's podcasting. And I'm like, yeah, okay, probably I can see how you might see that, but I see it slightly <laughs> differently, but each to the yeah. own. Yeah, that's right. Um, I've forgotten what I was saying. I got sidetracked again. That's how I roll. That's all right. I it's like, that. what, eight in the morning over there? You're just waking up. Um, you even had your coffee? Oh, yeah, that's what was in my not-so-big cup. cup. Yeah, my all enormous... Right. Uh, Probably You're a meeting. third of the size of your cup. Cup. Mine is full of coffee, and it's five. That's full of coffee. That's like no, ten liters of coffee. It's like forty ounces. I don't even know. No, but you're is. right in the sense that podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I love podcasts. Mm. It's a great because I can't sit still, so I don't read um, because I can't sit still. So I listen all the time. Mm. And I love podcasts, and I especially love podcasts that are extremely either conversational or where both parties are part of our product together. Yep. You've created a synergistic product, or you've got a, a phenomenal facilitator mm. who's letting some storyteller or some educator or some scientist or whoever's on kind of shine through and, and show the world what they are and that facilitator type. So, I mean... It's And I think with YouTube being a solo thing and that I don't interview anyone, I don't have anyone else in there with me, I have to be very careful mm. or people start to look at you. It, there's an interesting, there's a there's a duo online. I don't know if you've ever heard of them and their name is Bob and Brad. I've They're heard the most of famous. them, but I've never seen them. Yeah. yeah. They're a YouTube channel that I was watching closely when I started, and they're the most famous physical therapists on the internet. Oh, that's actually, their, yeah, I've, that's got a, I've got a video of theirs in one of my classes. Yeah. Yeah, they do good content because they show a lot of things, but they're also high personality, and so their brand they are very, is them. Yeah. Their brand is them, but they've combined them being a big part of the brand with their good ability to show consistently valuable content mm. and they've kind of straddled it a little bit more leaning a little bit more on their personalities and i yep. love that but i knew i couldn't compete with that because it's just me yeah, it'd be yeah. weird if i was up there trying to like banter be like hey guys you know it'd be it would be awkward so i had to make that choice early on even though they're kind of my like not my north star but like i watch their stuff as like a inspiration of how to keep this going for a long time they have five million subscribers I don't know. I know. I literally only know the video, and I didn't even realize this was them. But I have one video of them. I think they're talking about soap notes in one of my classes, yeah. and they introduce themselves as the world's most famous physiotherapists. Yeah. But I was watching it, and this is going to be a completely off the, off yeah weird comparison. But I was watching it, and I'm like, these two are just the male Gilmore Girls, because there's no gap between when one no. stops speaking and the next one starts. They just do, 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 do back and forth. I'm They're like, machine guns. Yeah. Pfft. Yeah. Well, it, the irony is the um, one of them, it. Bob, I believe, has dis, has has a neurological condition which has impacted his speech. Okay. So he has had to step away from the on-screen presence, and mm -hmm. they brought in another person to, to pass. So, you know, you talk about this as a, as a career, mm. as an OT, I want to have a career. I don't want to just be like a flash in the pan showing up on social media and then disappearing into the night. And I have this conversation. I have these existential crises every few weeks of like, what happens if I decide I don't want to be on camera anymore? Yep. Does everything die? Can I just like make, because people make videos where they're not in the, you know, they're not part of it at all and they have great success. But I started with being in the video. So 
in a way, I am still intrinsically part of the product. So it's a really interesting, like, existential conversation around being a social media presence and how that works itself into a business model. Yeah. Is it sustainable? You know, I've made over 500 videos over the course of the last four years, and it's exhausting work. Um, it's Sounds tough. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's crazy and I have no end in sight if I want to keep keep on this roller coaster. And so it's it's it's, you know, lots of soul searching. Cuz I nobody nobody tells you how to do it. Like there's no course I can take to make this, yep. you know, making it up as I go. Do you see yourself primarily as a content creator or as an OT? It's a good question. I see myself as a content creator who uses my background in occupational therapy to guide my content at this point. Um, I maintain all my licenses. I attend the American Occupational Therapy Association conference every year. I take continuing education. I continue to maintain all of the necessary pieces to be considered a licensed occupational therapist. But I have kind of steered away from making that the central piece of what I do. Mm -hmm. I wanted people to see me as a, as a person who has these skills and I use OT. I like make sure everybody knows I'm an OT. It's in my name. It's in everything. But I would say I'm more of a content creator at this point than a full on OT. I've just, it's, it's the vast majority of what I do with my time. Um, And I use my OT background to guide that content. Which is weird to say out loud. I feel kind of like bad now that I just said that to you. I, this feels like I got that off my chest. <laughs> it's just therapy. It's fine. This is. Yeah, don't cancel my therapy appointment yeah, tomorrow. This is it. We'll be fine. I don't need it. We'll Save just, my money. Yeah, why not? So <laughs> obviously that sort of identity transition didn't happen overnight. How, no. When did that, how did that come about? Because obviously I'm assuming going straight from, you know, home health, into content creation you probably at the start still was like i'm an ot and i'm making videos but when did it change to i'm a video maker who has an ot background probably when i started making actual money and that seems like a very selfish place to come from but when i realized that this could be a career Um, This could be a use of my degree in a different, unique Mm. way. I think I started to shift my attention towards, instead of deep diving into the latest OT research, I was deep diving into content creation. Because there's, I mean, I think the thing that most people don't realize is like, when it comes to creating content, you have to to be a a student all Mm. the time. You're learning what is the algorithm up to this year? What is the algorithm up to this week? Um, what's the what are, what are the trends and it seems really I initially was like bucking every trend I was like I want to do how I want to do but yep. once you start to learn how to expand your reach if your goal is to disseminate practical hopeful valuable information to the largest community you got to figure out how to reach that community so I went I started when I started making some money I realized okay one how do I make more of that because I like that part yeah. of it it's helpful I, I still have a family to support but I also realized, like, my my mindset had gone from how do I keep learning more about OT yep. to how do I learn more about being a content creator. And then I jumped into the product biz and had to learn, take, I mean, talk about getting an education. Like, there's so much that goes into taking a product from a napkin drawing to for sale on Amazon. So, like, 
I realized I was transitioning my interests and this is so OT, right? Like we're, we love this. We love this for our clients. It's occupational roles. 101. It is. And it's, it's occupational evolution. Mm. Nobody, nobody stays in one place for forever. We're moving and we're evolving. And so while I say it with some, some joking, like, oh, I feel bad that I, I think of myself more as a content creator than an OT. I think that's healthy. Mm. I think that's a healthy way to go through life is like, I'm a student first, like I'm just learning and just listening and evolving. And at this point, I would say that is definitely my, how I would identify myself. If when people ask, what do you do for a career? When I go to my daughter's school and they have career day, I say, I'm an occupational therapist and a content creator. And they're like, what? You know, so it's like, you know, it's like, all right, this is, this is who I am now. And I, I'm, I'm proud of it. I, I'm owning it and I'm not trying to hide it behind anything anymore. I'm just like, this is what I do. And actually what's interesting is I'm going to AOTA in Orlando here in March. This will be my first AOTA that I'm going to really step out and be proud of that because I've hid it from people. I don't like telling people I'm a content creator when I talk to a group of OTs because they're like, okay, mm. that's neat. So you're not Good a free OT you. then. Yeah, right. Mm. It, it is it's a bit degrade. You get that sense of like, oh, well. But even if they're neat. not thinking it or saying it you're still gonna think they are yeah that's true that is true but it's but but i think that you know i finally have really fallen into this place of like there's opportunities here for other ot's to expand what the world knows about what we can offer and i think that's super important for us as a field to just be bigger take up more space and that's okay Mm. that's really that's an interesting distinction that sort of when you essentially when you went professional being the the difference i think i don't identify as a podcaster and it's because maybe it's because i'm not doing this professionally it's um even in the language that i use around it like i call these little projects like occupied and any of the other like online projects that i've done i call them extracurriculars Mm -hmm. um so my identity at the present is still very much with a as an OT yep. rather than a podcaster. And it's similar. I, what you're saying about hiding it, I'm like, I don't know if I don't tell my students. I don't tell. They usually end up finding it eventually, but I have not told any of my students that I do this. Yeah. I don't tell at conferences every now and then. Someone will, someone will come up and, and talk to me about it, but I don't sort of make it a, a thing. I'm like, it's just something that I do for fun. Yeah. Well, I think part of it was protecting myself. And I don't know if you feel this too. It's like, I was a little afraid that it would fail miserably. Mm. And to kind of protect myself initially from embarrassment, I was like, I'm not going to tell people about this little cute 500 person Instagram and, you know, oh, I just hit 250 on YouTube. So it was like, you know, until I had those vanity metrics to match yeah, it, just yeah. to put a little like clout behind it, I felt like I had to hide it. I think that's totally wrong. And I didn't need to be doing that. But I think it's natural human instinct to protect ourselves like that. Um, but as as a content creator now, I'm I'm fully engaged in the fact that like, this is a career, I take it incredibly seriously. Yep. Um, I wake up every day and do this five days a week. What am I saying? Seven days a week. <laughs> Um, I have, like I said, I haven't turned off in four years. And so 
you know, I'm, I'm starting to come around to the fact that like, I'm not going to hide that anymore behind saying I'm an OT first. I will always be an OT. Quite honestly, I feel you're born an OT. Like this, like you say, this career finds you and you are somehow going to use this natural God-given ability to problem-solve complicated life scenarios for good or for evil. And I've, you know, I hope I've done it justice. Um, But I'm not going to try to pretend that I'm a traditional OT anymore because I'm not. Like, I'm so far from it, you know? And that's okay. That's okay. I've come to terms with it. I'm 37 and finally coming to terms with these things. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's each to their own timeline. We're not here to rush people. I can't argue. I'm older than that and I still haven't come to terms with things. It's interesting, though, the... um, the the hiding it because of metrics because I, I know on here and I still truly believe it like when I first started this thing I was very much of the mindset like I'm literally doing this for fun I was doing it as a creative outlet something I wanted to <laughs> learn audio engineering and you know interview cool people people that I knew initially and then I'm like hey I can actually get people that I don't know and then learn even more yeah. um but I'd always said, like, man, if one person listens to it and gets something out of it, then I'm stoked. And I still stay like that is the truth. But when you're talking about vanity metrics, that kind of struck a chord because even though personally, yes, I'm stoked if someone, if one person listened and got something out of it, the first question anyone asks and I don't know if you've come across this with YouTube, but the first question anyone asks is like, how many downloads, how many listens? Yep. And I'm like, how many subs, how many subscribers? Why? Yet? Like who cares? Who cares? One. And the reality is it's, it's half bots. Like who knows? Yeah. I don't know who the subscribers are, you know, and it is really, really interesting. Cause I feel the same way. Like when I started making content and getting views, I was so thrilled that maybe those people and when i'd get a comment occasionally like oh this was so helpful i was like that's it that's the only reason to this day is the only reason (laughs) i want to do it yeah and when i made my product i was like if i sell a few and i find out it helped i get messages on occasion about my product which you know it was like a pet project i wanted to see if i could do Mm. it it was a challenge it was a new challenge and i get messages and i got a message the other day from a mom who bought it for her a teenage daughter who has limb differences. She was born with shorter limbs, so she couldn't wash her own hair, but because of the way I designed it, it's a long handled, you can bend it and has a scalp scrubber. So she can wash her own hair for the first time. She is 17 years old and washing her hair for the first time. And her daughter was so thrilled that growing, and I was like, I can die happy. Like, Mm. that's all I ever wanted to do, you know? And the fact that I can do it as a part of a career, you know, that's the kind of stuff. And it is kind of sad that I feel like I have to like, bolster that with and i've sold three thousand units it's like who cares if i sold three thousand i sold it to that family and it helped that girl Mm. and that's all that i actually care about but why we hide behind those metrics is is really an interesting psychological question um one that i i definitely would like to dig more into but we all do it i think Mm. we all do it in this space definitely even if it's sort of like i said just from the fact of like feeling i don't know i mean i get embarrassed about weird shit but like, you know, and, and like my podcast on terms of downloads and stuff is fine, but I still don't like talking about it necessarily. It's the, is it the I'm imposter not, syndrome? Is it imposter um, syndrome? 
maybe part of it I think at times was uh, the assumption of what that must mean. Mm. So, like, you know, you'd say you've got however many downloads and they're like, oh, so you do that, like, full-time. I'm like, no, I literally do that as a hobby and I don't do it for money. It's not a job. It's just something I do in my spare time for fun. And that's it's the opposite of why I tell people my metrics. So you don't tell people your metrics because you, you're trying to, like, avoid those assumptions about, mm. like, how much time you devote to it. It must be a huge distraction for you. I feel like I have to tell people my metrics or people are like, what are you doing? Yeah, like, yeah. you're just making dopey videos in your basement like you're like a teenage child you know they look at me like a you know a tiktoker or what you know it's like i'm not though i'm like Mm. really working hard at this and i feel like i have to show those metrics to prove it and and it's kind of stinks because i think there's a lot of incredible content creators who don't have the metrics to to match Mm. the effort i know they put into their content and so i'm really cautious about balancing that that piece of it is like these are literally vanity they mean absolutely nothing mm. and i can prove it because brands who pay creators to make content don't care about your follower count it's the mm. last thing they look engagement. at engagement it's all engagement so that's proof enough if they're not you know they're like i have 130,000. they're like so how many of those people talk to you on the daily and mm. i'm like oh three thousand yeah oh, okay. <laughs> it's interesting well, like the other thing that I sort of had a revelation about a little while ago talking with another podcasting friend of mine was uh, even though I shy away from talking about those metrics, actually celebrating them sometimes I found very difficult. Um, Partly because I didn't want it to come across as like, oh, look at me. Um, but also it was like, well, I've spent so much time ignoring these and, you know, telling other people they don't matter. It's going to be really hypocritical if I come out and go, hey, look what we just hit. Um, so, like, we did one. I say we, it's just me. But uh, <laughs> towards the end of last year when we hit our milestone and that felt, that was probably the weirdest episode to put out for me because it was just a short like thanking everyone essentially for us like allowing and it's like you said it's a number it doesn't mean anything but I was trying to get more in the habit of actually celebrating some of the little wins and yeah I mean the fact that the podcast still exists after this many years even though it's in a very very different format to how it used to be um yeah I mean bravo (laughs) And you deserve to celebrate those wins. And I think we're we're kind of a um, uh, you work in in healthcare. You work in a thankless. You're ready to do the job and never receive thanks. You're not going to get paid well. Hmm. You're probably not going to get a thank you from half or more of your patients because they're not in a good place. And you are comfortable with that. You signed up for that. Hmm. And so when you transition over to something where there is this like comfort level with you know, self-congratulating and celebrating your own accomplishments. And then not only that, but sharing those accomplishments with the world in a very public way, that is a wild shift mentally. Um, Because you're not running around being like, hey, did I tell you about all the patients' lives I changed today? Absolutely not. You would never. You (laughs) would never. I want to meet that person. 
I do too. They're so probably funny. in a really good mental health place compared to the rest of us who are just like, well, we're just cracking out patients, you know, just doing our thing. And that's, it's, it's just a very weird, it's a very big mental shift that I'm still working on. Um, you know, it's okay to celebrate these wins. We've, we've worked hard to get to this point. And, and I think it's important too, to mention, like, we don't easily celebrate our wins, but we acknowledge the work that mm. was put in. And that's, I think what we want to get across is like, the reason we're celebrating this is because we also want to show you that we care deeply about the effort we put mm. in. And hopefully that shows through the result of more of you coming and finding us. So, so what kinds of wins do you celebrate with your vast array of different platforms of, of and products and videos? And Honestly, analytics tend to drive a lot of my um, sense of, of accomplishment. Yep. But um, just because they are easily tracked, mm. But for me, it's it's human contact, you know, in a world of social media where it can be very distant and very um, disengaged. I have really high levels of engagement whenever I can share with a brand or with a curious person, like, what's your engagement level? A traditional large account on Instagram like mine gets about one to three percent engagement from their audience. I regularly get 10 to 15 percent engagement from my audience, which still Massive. seems small. But I love that. It means that they're they are comfortable talking to me, yeah. and they know I'm a human, and hopefully that means I'm impacting them somehow. And those metrics, which indicate that engagement piece, are the ones that I celebrate. I don't necessarily share that unless mm. it's asked, but like for me, mm. those are like the. That's where you get your warm and fuzzies. I get my warm and fuzzies. That and the and the and anyone who reaches out to me with anything, I'm just so grateful that they trust me with their questions in their lives and stuff that that's huge that's just huge and some random dude reaches out and asks you to be on his podcast and i love that <laughs> rock i've been listening to your podcast for years mandy miss mandy is a oh, good dear friend of mine so mandy. and she was like oh you should go talk to brock so you know you know you know you know mandy well so i do i do she's a good egg she is so one thing that I've seen floated around the YouTube traps mainly, um, but I guess you could probably expand that out to pretty much any platform that holds video now, mm -hmm. is that the, I guess the the peak is, is done and anyone starting now is going to find it very difficult to build an audience, to build a career out of it. What's mm -hmm. your opinion on that is it something because i know there's going to be people listening now that are either at uni or new grads uh you know may have some video experience and want to go oh you know i want to see if i can do something with ot is it something that you think is still viable for someone to start now yes yes i truly believe it is viable for somebody to start now N that being said the amount of time and energy to commit to that while also being a full-time student, a full-time employee, a full-time is nearly impossible um, at the level of commitment that I've done. So to replicate, I always say like, if you're looking to replicate something, don't. Um, the goal should be to have a vision for how you want to disseminate information and be wildly consistent. It doesn't have to be good. That's the other thing that I think people are overestimate about YouTube. Yep. The first thing you have to do is just show up. And you have to show up with something to offer 
And then you just have to do that again and again and again and again and learn and listen and get better. My my early videos I can barely watch because they're so bad. They're so awkward and Definitely the audio going back is so... to watch them now. Oh, the awkward like my haircut, I mean everything. It was just it was <laughs> like what was I thinking? And but you know those videos were me figuring it out. And like I'm sure you could say the same thing about podcasting, right? Is like I if have you hadn't times. just started and then learned, it's just like anything. It's riding a bike. You're not going to be profitable yep. right away. I, it took me years to become profitable. It did not replace an income overnight. It was three years before I made any money doing it. Um, but it is a it is a is is a ball rolling downhill, like mm. or a rock boulder rolling downhill. Once it gets momentum, it really starts to pick up. And so, if the question is, is it possible? Absolutely, one hundred percent. Will most people be able to do it? No, it's hard. Um, and it's hard to be consistent at anything for a long time. So I, I think that, you know, that's the biggest hurdle most people have to overcome. So would the consistency thing be the biggest, I was going to ask like tips for people that may want to start, but it sounds like consistency yeah. is the, yeah. don't, don't, have a plan. don't think, just do. <laughs> yeah. And, and you do it. The only thinking I do is making sure I have a content schedule. That's the yep. only thing I plan out. Everything else about my life is a is just I'm just running around like a chicken <laughs> with my head cut off and it's fine. I like to live like that. I'm very ADD. So I but I keep a very strict content schedule. I always know a content that I'm making ahead of time because there's planning that goes into it and all of that and I learned early on if I didn't have that it would all fall apart. Yep. So I plan out every quarter you know, and I just know what I'm going to do. So having that content laid out in front of you really takes down that like heart stopping moment of, oh gosh, what do I make next? Because that hill gets really hard to climb after a while. Like what's next? Um, and then this, the other secret is understanding search engine optimization, SEO, the secret to every good YouTube channel that is education based is that they're actually paying attention to the questions that are being asked. Mm not answering questions just because they feel like it go on there figure out what people are asking and start answering and if your voice is the one that people are going to listen to then you're going to go you're going to go places that's how i started so what's next for equip me ot i have a really big couple of months coming up actually i have i can't fully disclose i don't know if i can or can't i might you know what Brock, I'll disclose it here because okay. I trust your audience with this information. So I'm launching my next product, which is a lotion applicator using the same kind of technology design of the long-handled silicone-based. Um, it looks like a giant spatula, so we call it the body spatula. And it is in its final stages of manufacturing right now. And I was invited to present it um, to uh, QVC, which is the um, the home shopping network here in, in the States. It's a it's like kind of your grandma's thing, but it's a yep. huge opportunity to yeah. go live. I will be there in person to launch this product in um, in May sometime. So I've been really working hard in the background. That's like, awesome. Manufacturer, and I'm getting trained on being an on-air guest. So I'll be on TV. I'll be live. I'll be presenting. And it's really exciting because with products like this that have an adaptive quality, showing, not telling, is super helpful in helping people understand how it can benefit them in their lives. So I'm going to do that in May and 
I'm hoping to steal my husband away from his current employment and be able to employ him full time this year. That's my big goal <laughs> so that we can really start to scale things and uh, up our production, increase video content. Those are the those are the big goals for the year and just see how far we can take this thing. You know, that's, sky's the limit. That's awesome. Because I would, yeah, I would imagine really too, like the, like you said, it's your grandma's thing. Because we have shopping network here as well in Australia, and it is traditionally like the stereotype is it's lots of old people like buying things off the TV, homebound at home. But yeah. I'm thinking if that's your kind of product, then that's your audience. That's my audience exactly. It was very serendipitous. I had a woman reach out to me who has been a quiet supporter for a lot of years, and I didn't even know it. Yep. And she emailed me, and she was like, "Hey, I." I think you'd be perfect for this. Would you ever consider it? I'm like, well, I don't have any products, but maybe someday. And that was two years ago. Yep. And I launched my first product and then I brought to her my idea for the second product. She's like, home run, let's do it. And so she's kind of like scooped me up. It's all about those like serendipitous people. That's Mm. what I say. It's all about relationships. It's like she randomly found me on Instagram two years ago and reached out, you know? And she's an inventor and she was a caregiver to her husband with Parkinson's and like is in this space and knows this stuff. And so finding new people to that are mentoring me and I'm learning so much um, and finding new ways to hopefully serve the community that That's is all I've so ever cared cool. about. So it's a really neat way to bring OT to the masses. That's uh, If someone said list a hundred ways to sell a product made by an OT, I don't even think I'd be able to, I don't even think I'd think of that. I, I don't think an OT has ever been on the Home Shopping Network. And it's 35, almost 40 years of airtime. I don't think an occupational therapist has ever graced its stage. So um, I'm really excited to hopefully just demonstrate to other OTs and to the community at large that, like, yeah. we think about you when we make something. I make a physical product, and I make it because I want it to serve the community as well as possible. It's bending. It has a little point on it, so you can use it for getting toe applications for somebody who can't reach their feet but has diabetic neuropathy and needs to apply ointments. Yep. I've thought about all of these things because I've seen it in the community and I wanted to help. And I, I hope to get that across in that live spot. I hope to sell a ton of product, too. That would be great um, because it funds my continued efforts to continue mm. to be able to do this job. Um, and that's that's where we're at. We're just trying to figure out what we can do with it. That's... But opportunities are beautiful like that. They just sometimes come up and you have to grab them when you can. It's scary. I'm petrified. Yeah. But as they say, if you're not a little scared, you're probably not pushing yourself enough. You, that is the, such an entrepreneur thing to say. <laughs> I'm a reluctant entrepreneur. I was a good little soldier. I liked working for other people. This has come hasn't always come easily to me. <laughs> and yet here you are. So you seem to and be doing pretty are. damn good at it if I do say so. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure, honestly. One more thing, just purely for my own geeky... Uh, I don't know. I just want to know. Gear-wise, with your recording stuff, what are you just are you using a proper camera? I can see all the lights in the background. Are you using so, just your phone? Like, What did you start with and where are you at now? I have done every single YouTube video with my phone well mm-hmm. actually with my husband's phone yep. technically he has the slightly better camera on his phone i do every single one of my short form contents on my phone and then we do have lighting kits 
the most money we've spent is on audio equipment. And yep. as an audiophile, I know you will appreciate that. We upgraded to all Sennheiser nice. uh, mics and so that we could. And then we upgraded to really good. Like we use DaVinci Resolve for all of our editing yep. because, and my husband will tell it because he's the film video guy. It's got the best audio editing component to all of the video editing software. Mm. So that's what we've spent the most money on. Yeah. Well, because we found with making YouTube content, if the audio wasn't good, Mm -hmm. the content wasn't good. That's the other piece of it is like make consistent content, but make sure people can hear you. And so many people make video content with garbage audio. Terrible crackling. And it's infuriating, especially when you're communicating with, like a lot of my content is for the older population mm-hmm. who are dealing with the issues that I'm talking about. They can't hear very well anyway. So I have to be very clear. And so, yes, we spent the most money on all of our audio equipment and it's paid off. I think our audio is decent on our videos. It's, it's not perfect, but it's good. <laughs> and we had to upgrade. That's, <laughs> um, I mean, that, that theory I've heard for, I think it actually might've even actually been YouTube that put it out years and years ago that said that, you know, audio is, is king, even in the video world in that Absolutely. you can, you can put out something that looks like it was filmed on a potato, but if it sounds good, it's going to do better than something that looks like a cinema movie, but sounds like it was, you know, recorded underwater. I have a theory that the algorithm actually pushes videos with better audio if it's a if it's a congested niche so if it's like uh there's a lot of videos about this topic good luck ranking Mm. but if your video i swear to you the videos with better audio rise up i think it i think they can tell i think they can tell because advertisers don't want crap videos (laughs) (laughs) pay attention but like yeah i we've always always spent up on audio equipment we have expensive computers too that have to run all of the software for editing and storing so much video content i can imagine that's the one reason so i i have a photography business on the side and i'm people like why don't you do video as well i'm like because i don't want to deal with terabytes of files i'm like i'm happy just doing my photos i do do video for like work lectures and stuff and even then i've started using my professional photography equipment to film lecture videos and like these micro like this microphone is very expensive but using that to record lectures i'm like i keep telling people i'm like these are the most overproduced lectures you're ever gonna see but they sound good and they look they good. sound great yeah and they so, look good well and that's and that's i think that's super important you can't underestimate the the viewers ex- or the listeners experience mm. like people people experience content with their senses right like they and if that's if their senses are you know if you've got really bad lighting and the audio (laughs) and the audio is popping and stuff you're just going to move on to another video like you're out so if you don't put a little effort into that part of it Mm. you will not see the same results i truly believe that um we are looking to invest in a better camera eventually because we'd like to be able to do some handheld work steady cam work um so that he can get closer to some of the more assembly heavy videos and things like that yep. when I do installations. Um, and we also want to do some community-based OT um, instructional videos that would require us to be able to do handheld stuff. So that's hopefully coming. Like I said, once I sp- spirit my husband away from his current career and have him join me. <laughs> He'll be on the, on the black magics if he's a Da Vinci fan. Oh, he's, he's obviously. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, is there anything else that we want to cover today? I Anything else you can think of that you want to 
I'm excited to I'm excited to uh, to be part of your your podcast finally. Like I said, I've been listening for a long time, so this has been a pleasure. I know. And then when did I ask you? Like bloody November or something. And then the yeah, Townsville where I live, we ended up. We've had two cyclones. Uh, obviously Christmas, which is just a personal cyclone. Um, just yeah, Emotional the last couple of months have been a bit hectic. So I'm glad we I'm finally just- got it in the books and finally connected and yeah i had faith i had faith it would happen and it's been lovely it's been lovely to meet you finally i know next time i I have big goals of getting to china to meet my manufacturer all my manufacturers in the future so while i'm on that side of the world maybe i'll buzz down to australia too i've always wanted to visit i was gonna say that's still a fair way away but feel free i know it's not it's on the right side of the world Yeah. yeah Maybe. I guess I it's probably closer than yeah, it probably would be closer than the states. <laughs> it's closer than the states, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the states is literally the complete opposite side to us. Yeah. It is. I don't know. Opposite my sides of the world. Geography, Still the same love for OT. Is not my strong point. Yeah, well, we never had to study it <laughs> in OT school, so no, no worries. That and math. <laughs> That's or right. Fi- or physics. I hear that from so many of the podcasts. It's like, I failed a math class, so then I became an OT. That's literally why I stopped doing engineering and went to OT instead, because there's less math. The irony of me now having to engineer products. That's what I was going like, to touch on at the start when you were going on about oh. how you hated physics. I'm like, there's some massive irony in that now that you're teaching like yep. people biomechanically, which is, if people don't know, physics. it's just physics. Yeah. Uh, yeah yeah it's it's a full circle moment for sure like i'm having i'm taking online courses on like product development and a lot of it is like cad design and like all this stuff which is very math heavy and very numbers focused and so you know that's the stuff i love i like i loved anything math i hated math anything applied i was gone physics i got a's in physics and like almost failed math because math is just in my head Whereas physics, I can like picture like a car going the speed yeah. and blah blah blah. And I think I didn't give physics a proper chance. To be honest, yeah. I was just burned out of life at that point. So I think that was more the issue. Timing was really killing physics for me. And that's the same with CAD. Like I used to love when I was studying engineering, and even at school, I did it at school as well. Like because it was applied, and I was actually designing real things. I'm like, I get this. This what? makes sense to me that's where i'm at i'm like well this is obvious this Mm. makes so much sense it's funny how once you put it into the context that works with the way your brain is naturally wired how it all of a sudden all fits together and i'm loving it now like i'm i'm absolutely i'm in i'm in like my third round of educating myself on new things and you know that's what gets you out of bed in the morning i think it gets me out of bed this is your cpd it is right exactly exactly love Love that and my big cup that and the bucket that you're drinking out of. That's right. There's a funny SNL sketch from Saturday Night Live last two weeks ago, I think, where they make fun of these cups. I've seen they, so they many call things them making something. fun of them. Oh yeah. Well, they they've earned it. They've yeah. earned it. The only thing I'm I saw. The only thing I saw was that there was some video of some lady that reckoned it survived a fire or something. Yeah. And I'm like. Turns out there's lead in them too, so I'm probably slowly poisoning myself with That's it. That's probably but, you why know. it survived a fire. It's like probably lead yeah, insulated I mean, or something. I'm okay with that. I've experienced worse. So there's this one thing I want my coffee to survive. It's a car fire. Right. 
I probably won't survive the car fire, but no, my coffee, coffee will be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be perfect. Still drinkable. <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute no blast having a chat and getting to know you. And yeah, thanks heaps. Yeah, my pleasure. You have a great rest of your day on your side of the world. If you liked this episode and want to check out more, head over to OccupiedPodcast.com or search Occupied Podcast in your favorite podcasting app. If you have thoughts or reflections on the topics discussed today, please do get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. And lastly, if you got some value from this and you want to help us out, like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Remember, be good to yourself, be good to others, and always keep occupied. Keep occupied.